0: I want to reiterate what Clay said. If you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we want to extend a very warm welcome to you. Appreciate you for being here. Thankful for you to be here and pray that you experience and encounter God on a, on a personal and a powerful level. I was in Indiana uh, this week speaking at a conference. I appreciate all of you that uh, were praying for me. And I'm tired, man. I'm telling you. I mean, I told him after the service, I said, you know, if revival broke out, I, I wouldn't be able to come back. I'm so out of shape and so pathetic that I'd have to rest before I could come back and, and, and experience revival. But uh, uh, either way, it's good to be here. And. Uh, If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Me and Clay have just kind of been alternating over the past few weeks and uh, speaking uh, about what we feel like God is doing in this moment. And this is a moment of transition, as you are aware of. But it's critically important that uh, when you're in the midst of a transition, and not just a transition, but every day of life, that we are doing everything with our uh, ability to follow God every step of the way, and, and so we've talked about how the uh, the journey of the children of Israel. Out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and entering into the promised land, how that the the events that we see taking place in their life are examples uh, to us for how the Christian life will be uh, lived out, and how that there's symbols and types and shadows of how it relates to us in today's time and hour. And so we've been talking about this particular journey. I spoke a couple of weeks ago on following God and Clay shared last week about possessing the promises. And so to summarize it, we basically came to the point to where it is time for the children of Israel to cross the Jordan River and start entering in and possessing the promised land. And so as I was praying about this message, the, the, the thing that I felt like God was speaking to me is uh, the need to understand the moment that we're in. And not just understanding and recognizing this moment, but responding in this moment. Taking a step of faith. Even though the children of Israel, God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, there was a river that they end up, ended up having to cross in order to enter into the promised land. And what I felt like God was saying to me is that even though God had already given the children of Israel the promised land, nothing actually began to take place until the priest stepped into the river and prepared the way for the entire nation to cross. In other words, you know, God said that you're going to... uh, Inhabit the promised land. This is the land that I've Told you I would bring your your fathers Abraham Isaac and Jacob today you're going to cross over the Jordan and 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 you got to put yourself in their position you got to put yourself in their shoes to understand that that even though God has spoken all these things to them even though God had done miracle after miracle after miracle in their life there come a point in time that they had to cross the Jordan River now can you imagine being this group of people and more specifically being one of the priests that was actually going to lead the way with the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Bible said that the waters was overflowing. It was overflowing during this particular time. And so you would think that when the high priest or the priest began to take action and step into the the Jordan River that before their foot hit the ground that the waters would part or it would do it before they actually stepped foot. They had faith to believe that God was going to part the, uh, the Jordan River just like he parted the Red Sea. But the scripture says that these priests stepped down into the water. Now, can you imagine everybody looking at you Everybody watching you and if God doesn't show up, this water is not going to part and you're the one that has to take the first step into this river. Can you imagine the the feelings, the emotions, the fear, the concern, the anxiety that they probably had in their flesh because There was no way that this could actually happen in their life unless God did something miraculous. But the Bible said as soon as the the priest stepped into the water, stepped into the river, as an act of obedience took place, then the waters parted. And I said all that to say this. The waters would have never parted, the Jordan River would have never parted had they not been willing to take the first step into the unknown. And so I want to talk to you uh, this morning on a subject called now faith. And it's kind of a play on words, but you know, we need to understand what faith is. How we get faith, how our faith is increased, how we put our faith into practice. Because nothing happens in our lives without a direct connection to our willingness to be obedient to God. Every miracle has a God part and a man part. You know, when Jesus was born, when he was conceived of, of the Virgin Mary, she had a part to play. Even though we know that was a supernatural conception, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, she became pregnant with the Son of God. She still had to carry that child for nine months, Right? She still had a role to play, even though God had a plan, God had a purpose, God was going to uh, send his son into the world to die on the cross for the sins of the world so that we might be forgiven and spend eternity with him. There was somebody that was pregnant with this promise that had to carry this promise out until this child was born. Are you with me? So every miracle that God does, there's a God part and a man part. The problem with most of us is that we want God to do his part and our part at the same time. But everything that God does, he does in partnership with man and he does in partnership with prayer. But prayer is no substitute for obedience. Are are you with me? It's one thing to pray. It's a good thing to pray. But sometimes after everything's said and done, you have to become the answer to that prayer. Just, just assume that the prayers that you're praying, God wants to use you in order to see those prayers answered. You are the answer to somebody's prayer. The children of Israel, they prayed for 400 years to, for God to send them a deliverer. And when God answered that prayer... He answered that prayer through a man. That man was the name Moses, right? So listen, God wants to partner with you. He wants to partner with you in prayer. And there are some things that God wants you to recognize and respond if we are going to enter into that promised land, whatever that ends up being for our lives and as a church. So I want to talk about now faith. Hebrews chapter 11 we're going to read verse 1 if you're there I say amen. Verse 1 says, "Now faith." Let's say those two words together. "Now faith." "Now faith." When is faith? Now. "Now faith." What does that mean? That means Faith is not in the future. Faith is not in the past. Faith is right. Okay? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. For by the elders obtained a good witness... A good testimony, and by faith we understand that the world's plural were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. It reads like this in the New Standard, American Standard. It says, now faith is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things... We cannot yet see. Now, faith, let's pray. Father, we ask you today that now faith would rise up in our hearts so that we can recognize what you're saying and respond accordingly. This is a moment in time where transition is happening And we all have a role in this transition. And we ask you, Lord, that we would be found directly in the center of your will, being faithful where we are and following you each step of the way. Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity in our thoughts, that you would bring vision in our hearts, that you would reveal to us where we are individually and as a church in the purpose and the plan that you have preordained uh, from the foundation of the world and help us to respond accordingly as you speak to us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now faith. Faith is one of the most basic, foundational Christian doctrines uh, of the Christian faith. Faith is something that is, if we are genuinely sincere about pleasing God we have to have. You know, the scripture says that if if we desire to please God, We must have faith. Faith is more than just believing. Faith is more than hoping. It's a confident assurance. It is carried with expectation. It is in the moment. It's not determined by your circumstances. It's not controlled by your emotions. It's it's not even determined by what you visually see with your natural eye. Because the Bible says the things that we can't see are eternal. The things that we can see are eternal. Are temporal and so God wants us to get wants to give us eyes of faith and we have to understand what it means to have eyes of faith the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God and they that believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him and so we see in that verse of scripture that if we want to please God we have to first of all have faith and not just have faith, the kind of faith the Bible talks about is very specific. Listen, there's no such thing as general faith. All true, genuine faith is specific. It has got a focus. There is an object in which we set our hearts and our minds and and our eyes upon that our faith is attached to. It's not just wishing. It's not just hoping. It's not just praying. It's not just believing. There is an assurance. There is a confidence. There is a conviction that we will see what God says we will see. We will do what God says we will do. And God is who that God says he is regardless of what's happening around us faith is something that we possess internally and and so we see the scripture is we got to have faith to please God and then it says these words they that come to him must believe that he is now that word is is a present tense word meaning in that moment when you come to God you have to have a present up-to-date Faith to approach God and to diligently seek Him. And if you are actively, diligently presently in the moment seeking God the Bible says that he will reward those who diligently seek him so now faith is an up-to-date faith it is a present faith it is in this moment faith it's at this time it's a faith that requires us to respond and act in the moment that we are in now Faith is not something, and a lot of people, they view faith as, as something that is mystical, that only a few super spiritual Christians actually possess. You know, most people would say they have faith, but they have just a little bit of faith. Well, you know what? Good news is Jesus said if you just had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you could speak to that mountain and tell it to be removed and cast into the sea, and it would do that. Now, when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about having a lot of faith in a little bitty God. We're talking about having a little bit of faith in a great big God. In other words, the object of your faith is more important than the amount of faith that you think you have. All you need is just a little bit of faith in a great God and you will experience and encounter the miraculous, the supernatural, you know, the incredible things that God has for us. But our faith has to be active. Our faith has to be focused. Our faith has to be in the moment, up to date, and centered around the person of Jesus. Because the Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, Faith is not for just a few super spiritual Christians, okay? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God gives every man a measure of faith. Faith is actually a gift from God. Everybody here has faith. Romans twelve three says God has given every man a measure of faith. But faith is not just something that we are to experience at one time. It should be an ongoing thing. Our faith should increase. Our faith should be added to. Our faith should grow over the process of time because faith is not a moment. Faith is in a person. It is in the person of Jesus. And so true faith is based upon an ongoing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ that's what Christianity is Christianity is not a bunch of rules and regulations Christianity is not a bunch of thou shalt do and thou shalt do not you know Christianity is not a bunch of behavior modifications Christianity is an ongoing relationship with a person and so the Bible makes perfectly clear God gives every man a measure of faith But we have to use that faith Activate that faith Put that faith into practice In order for that faith to grow Faith is like muscle You know muscle you have to continually And I know a lot about that Faith has to continually be be pushed to the limit, stretched. And the truth is the same is true in the Christian life. You are either stretching or shrinking. There is no such thing as neutral in your relationship with God. And, you know, I've said this a lot, say it all the time. You know, if you are straddling the fence with God, you need to get off the fence because the devil owns the fence. So let me ask you a question. Are you stretching Or are you shrinking? In order for you to stretch, you have to put your faith into practice. You have to develop your faith. You have to add to it. And so, in order for us to increase in faith, develop in faith, go ahead and go to the the first slide for me. The scripture says in 1 Peter 1.5, you are to add to your faith. You have to add to your faith. And to add to your faith... Means that you have to take what you know, the faith that God has given you, and then you have to put that into practice. That's why James said in James 2.20, faith without works is dead. Okay? Another way of saying it, faith without works is useless. You can be saved and useless at the same time. Now, notice I didn't say worthless. Everybody has worth and value, but not everybody is useful. God forbid that we find ourselves as somebody that has been saved and useless at the same time. So it's more than just lip service. How many knows that God cannot be fooled by our lip service? Right? Now, we can say all the right things, we can nod, we can read the words on the screen, we can get emotional, but none of that necessarily means that we are putting our faith into practice. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you actually put your faith into practice? Don't think you're putting your faith into practice because you're here on Sunday morning. Don't think that you're putting your faith into practice because you've been baptized. Listen, you can go under the baptismal water, a dry center, and come up a wet center. It's possible for you to to know the Bible, to know the Word of God, to know the, the book of the Lord and not necessarily know the Lord of the book. And the only way to truly know Jesus is to follow him. And following him is what happens when we truly have faith that is useful and is alive. So we've got to add to our faith. Because faith without works is dead. Now, what's the first step of faith? Faith. God gives us a measure of faith. When you were lost, you you heard the gospel one day, you you felt certain things in your heart, your eyes were open. you come to the reality that that you were a sinner, that you have committed sins, your sins have separated you from God, and the only way for you to be forgiven is to turn from your sins, turn to Jesus, and allow what he did for you on the cross to take effect. But that Requires you to respond. It doesn't just happen automatically it requires you to respond and so salvation is the first step of faith now how do I know that's true because he's given us a measure of faith and we can't have our faith grow and increase until we have put it into action and so the first step for us to do to do with the faith God's given us is to respond to him in faith for salvation the Bible says in Ephesians chapter two verse eight that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift from God. So that's the first first step. But a lot of people uh, they they take that first step and then they get stuck. You know, they get saved by grace and paralyzed by it at the same time. If the grace that you have received isn't changing your life then it's not real true grace at all see some people use grace as a license to sin they say things like Lord I know what I'm about to do is wrong but forgive me before I do it wrong it doesn't work that way There should be a change in our heart. There should be fruit in our life. The Bible calls that the fruit of repentance. But it's not enough to be saved. God expects us to what? Add to our faith. So what do we do? We take the next step. Now what's the next step of faith? Well, we take one step and that's the first step of faith. We take the next step and the next step is learning to walk by faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so we're learning to grow up in our faith. We're putting our faith into practice. We are sharing our faith. We are defending the faith. We are living the faith. That's important because that's the next step. God doesn't want us just to take a step of faith. He doesn't just want us to learn how to walk in faith. The next step he wants us to take is he wants us to learn how to live by faith. Galatians chapter 2, 20, which is my favorite scripture in the Bible. It says that I'm crucified with Christ. Christ. nevertheless i live not i but christ that lives within me and the life that i now live listen to what it says i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me so what started out as a measure of faith once we take that first step of faith brought change in our life because we have encountered Jesus and then we take that next step of faith which is learning to walk by faith and then we continue to add to our faith as we learn how to live by faith and the truth is God will make sure that all of us are in a position where we have to learn how to live by faith now you guys know, we've announced this, that I'm going to be transitioning out of the pastor uh, to take on a new role uh, at CTMF and uh, to train leaders, plant churches, and focus on uh, more global missions. It would have been easy for me to remain where I'm at, With all of the security that I have because I've been doing this for a while, Uh, there's not anything really that I'm having to worry about that much because everything is taken care of. Financially, we're in good shape. God's blessed us with a new building. We have something that is now ours that we own. This is a good place to be. It would be very easy for me to stay right where I'm at. But God expects me to add to my faith. God is going to say, look, now I want you to take this next step. And then this next step, I don't even have a clue what it's going to look like. But by faith, I had to, so I'm not preaching to you. My point's this. I'm not preaching you something that I'm not having to live out myself. This is not lip service. This is not just good information. I'm having to live out in front of you because the truth is, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where uh, the, the financial resources are going to come from. I don't know how I'm going to do these things that God has placed on my heart. I just know I have to take a next step. And believe me, the hardest thing I've had to do as a Christian is to come to this pulpit and announce to you that I am going to be transitioning out. Why? Because I've given my life for this. Everything that I've got, I put everything, all my energy, and I can honestly stand before you today and look you in the eye and say, I've done my best and I've given you everything. So you can't be that invested and it not matter. But I don't know what the future ministry that God's calling me to is actually going to look like. I just know it's something that he's placed in my heart, and I have a choice. I can remain where I'm at, or I can take a step of faith. I believe some of you, you're in the same situation. You're in a place where God's saying, look, I have something greater for you. I want to use your life in a greater way, but you're so comfortable where you're at you're never going to step into it. You know, the scripture says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But the truth is, before the truth makes you free, it will make you miserable first. I remember when I first shared this with Clay. I told Clay, and I, was, I, mean, I never said anything about it. Finally, one day, I was at the point to where I was miserable. I said, let me just say this and get it off my chest and see if it helps me. I said, Either God is done with me pastoring or I have backslidden. Don't I say that? Because <laughs> I'd never been in this place before. And, and I'd never uh, not been in a place where I didn't feel like I knew what my next step was. I always had vision for the church. I always and I still do I can give you a thousand really good ideas but listen there's a difference between a good idea and a God idea and God will let you do your thing he will let you build your ministry your kingdom just like you like it and then when you come to the end of the journey it will ultimately come crashing down because he's not interested in building your kingdom He's interested in building his kingdom. So what can I do? What can you do to help build the kingdom? Well, you'll never find out what that is until you take that next step. So we to add to our faith is what the scripture says. Now, out of all the things that I could share with you concerning faith, the thing that I feel like God wants me to emphasize to each of you, including myself, is that faith is now. Faith is in this moment. Faith is uh, in the present. Faith is not in the future. You can't have faith for the future. And you can't have faith in the past. Faith is now. When you have faith for the future, that's not faith. That's actually called hope. And hope... Is not the same as faith. And the reason so many people do not see the fulfillment of the promises of God in their life is because they remain in the realm of hope. Does that make sense? See, you hear the good news. You get stirred on the inside of you. You get fired up. You realize that, you know what, things could be better. God has a purpose for my life. I have a destiny. You get stirred up about that. But then, when it comes time for you to make a commitment and take the first step, instead of stepping forward, you step back. It's almost like we're scared of committing ourselves to God. Fully and wholeheartedly. I'm telling you right now, Clay, myself, and every person in here individually cannot take this church where God wants it to go. We have to go collectively. There's somebody that's got to lead, but there also have to be people that are willing to follow. There should never be a reason or there should never be a ministry in our church where we do not have it completely and fully staffed with volunteers. Now, we may be saying, you know what? We're just too busy to get involved. Listen, if you're too busy to get involved, you're too busy. Christians who don't serve are a contradiction. Saved people serve people. And if you're here and you're saved... You're not involved in the ministry. I can guarantee you right now, I know what your next step is. Your next step is to move everything else out of the way and start serving. And there's two primary there's two ways in which God wants to use our gifts and talents. There's a primary gifting And that is where we want to spend the majority of our time. And then there's the secondary gifting, and that's where we serve where we're needed. We need to be plugged in, connected, serving in the area of our strength. We need to be plugged in, connected, and serving in the area where it's needed. If we're not serving, we ought to go up to our leadership and say, what can I do to help you out? But people that are not growing in their faith never see the need to serve. Paused for an amen, but it didn't come. It's all good, though. So, we cannot remain in the realm of hope. We must learn how to move from the realm of hope and step into the realm of faith, okay? Now, let me give you three things concerning faith before we leave this morning. The first thing's this. The first point is creation is the bedrock of faith. Creation is the bedrock of faith. Hopefully I can communicate to you just how simple and easy it is to understand faith and to respond in faith to God. And God uses creation to help us understand the simplicity of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, and what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Now you're thinking, what does that mean? I'm going to break it down and explain it to you. Creation, what we see in creation with our visible eye, we can take and it helps activate the faith that we have that God has given us. Now, how does that happen? Simple. Once we understand and we see creation, the obvious assumption would be if there is a creation, then there must be a what? Creator. Nobody looks at a painting and wonders if there is a painter. Nobody looks at a building and wonders and questions whether there is a builder We look at creation and that reveals to us in this most simplistic way that there must be a creator. Now, if we observe creation, not only do we look around and we see there must be a creator, when you see how the universe works, its massive expanse and its properly aligned and and order in which God created things... It causes faith to be activated in our hearts, meaning this. When you look at creation, knowing that the creation has come with the, as a result of there being a creator, you look how creation operates. What happens is this. You understand that there's purpose, that there's intent, that there is order, and that there is intelligent design. Just by looking at creation. You don't have to be some super spiritual Christian to understand that, you know what? God has kind of got this thing under control. He's done a good job at orchestrating how the universe operates except because we have sinned the perfect order and alignment of everything begin to go into disarray. Because when sin was born into the world, it created chaos. But even in the midst of all the chaos going on in the world today, we can still look at creation and understand that there's a creator. And not only is there a creator, he is the one that's actually holding all of this together. So it says, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. Now listen to this. God put enough of himself in the world to make faith in him reasonable, right? God put enough of himself into the world to make faith in God a reasonable thing. But he left enough of himself out that it makes it impossible to live by reasoning alone. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? I want you to get this. He put enough of himself in the world that makes faith in him a reasonable thing to consider. I don't even believe in atheists. And I don't say that to be funny. I mean that. There may be somebody that says... I don't believe in a God and they may call themselves an atheist but for them to really be a legitimate atheist then they have to know without a shadow of a doubt that there is no God never has been a God that God does not exist and it's just impossible for them to prove. They may come up with theories They may even try to use science to disprove God. I I love what one man said. One man said that teenagers are God's revenge on the human race. He said, I believe God looked down and said, you know, I'm going to let them know what it's like so I'm going to allow them to create little people like themselves made in their image and their likeness that deny their existence. You'll get that in a minute. He said, teenagers are God's revenge on the human race. And so, and then he goes on to say, he said, the Bible doesn't make clear how old the devil was when he rebelled against God and rejected God's authority. He said, but I'm thinking he's probably 16. 16. That's got nothing to do with the message, but I thought it was funny too. (laughs) But creation forces us and allows us to make the assumption that there must be a creator. And when you look around at everything, you can see that there's order, that there's purpose, that there's intent, that there's intelligent design. And the truth of creation is being attacked by secular humanists from America's university on every single angle. Yet science is finding entire planes of stars that are, in, you know, that are in perfect alignment, which if you were to try to prove the theory of evolution, or the Big Bang Theory, from a scientific standpoint, it would actually be statistically impossible to do so. What am I saying? There's too much order in the universe for things to have happened accidentally. Now, here's a big word that is very simple for us to understand. It's called the law of thermodynamics, which simply means this. Something can never come from nothing. You know, they can estimate, carbon date, and do all this stuff and say, well, in the beginning there was this fluid of mass and this mass exploded and, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's a bunch of bull. I want you to know. You can't prove that. They, you know, they have to guess. Listen, we know according to Scripture that, that by the Word of God, the universe and everything in it was created by the Word of His mouth. And we have creation... You know, it doesn't take faith to prove God's existence. You can prove God's existence very simply to an open-minded person. People that are closed-minded is a whole different story. But to an open-minded person, it's a reasonable thing to believe that there is a God. Now, think about this. It says creation. Put that, put that first slide. Creation is the bedrock of faith. By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed. Now, think about this. Okay. Think about the human body and the complexity of the human brain. God is an intelligent design, right? Designer. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. Right now, as you said here, your brain is sending messages to your heart to your kidneys, to your liver, to your pancreas, to your salivary glands, to work and operate exactly the way that they need to in order for you to be alive. None of that happening with your consent. The brain is is highly, highly complex, and the mind is controlling so many things. Think about the heart and the eye. Did you know that while you are asleep at night, your heart pumps 75 gallons of blood through your body every single hour? Uh, hour? Think about the eye. I mean, the eye is an incredible thing. There's, there, there are muscles that automatically focus without your consent over 100,000 times a day. And in that eye is a little small piece called the retina that is less than a square inch that contains 137 million light-sensitive cells. Charles Darwin, the, the founder of the theory of evolution, made this statement. He said, to assume that the human eye developed as a result of natural selection is to be absurd to the highest degree. In other words, he says, there's no way I can look at the eye and assume evolution is the result of it. That's his words, not mine. But we have God. And when you you consider him being the creator of the universe... The creator of the human body, all the, system, uh, the systems, all of the vital organs, all of the messages that are sent from the brain, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, creation is the bedrock of faith. So, it's, that's important for you. To, you don't even have to guess whether there's a God or not. And so, if God did create all of this, is there anything too hard for him to do for you? I hear people say all the time, you know, I was going to pray about this and ask God, but it was such a minor thing, such a small thing. Listen, everything's small to God. You think God looks down and says, I don't know how we're going to work this thing out. <laughs> Billy Graham said that there's a place in heaven for all the prayers that were answered that nobody took the time to ask for. You ought to dream and believe and act as if God's in control. You know that? You know, we said last week, why not you? Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? I'm convinced that God will do it for anybody that was willing to believe him because God's greatest pleasure is for somebody to believe him. Not just mentally acknowledge Here's the second thing. Creation is the bedrock of faith. The second thing, the Word of God is the source of faith. Look what it says. The entire universe was formed at what? Talk to me. God's command. God spoke. We can go back to the book of Genesis. God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? He said, and God said this, and God said this, and God said this, and God said this, and everything responded to the Word of God, and so the entire universe was formed at God's command. Now, do you understand that the earth sets on a 23.3 perpendicular scale? It sets on nothing It is attached to nothing. It spins on nothing except from the spoken word of God. How do I know that's true? He said the entire universe was formed by the spoken word of God. The sun rises and the sun sets and the sun goes up and the sun goes down while it's not attached to anything except to the spoken word of God. And not only has all of this been created, that it's all held together by the spoken word of God and it is sustained by the spoken word of God. All you need, regardless of what you're going through, is a word from God. One word from God can change eternity for you. And God wants to speak to you. And so the Word of God is the source of faith. It's not about how much faith you have. It's not about how strong your faith is. It's not about how great your faith in is. It is the object of your faith that actually matters when it comes to seeing God operate and work in your life. Now, there's two words in the Greek I want to give you. You can go to the next slide. They help define the Word of God. Now, I want you to get this, all right? These two words, one is logos, the other is rhema. The logos is the general word of God that stretches from Genesis to Revelation. In other words, it is the divinely inspired, it is the literal, it is the entirety of the canon of Scripture. This is what we call, the. this is the word of God. This is logos. Got it? It is for everybody. It it can change anybody's life. The Word of God is for everybody. It's absolute in truth. It's divinely inspired. It is inerrant. It has never failed, nor will it ever fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never fail. So when we're talking about the Logos, we're talking about the literal Word of God, okay? Now the second word... Is the word Rhema. Now, Rhema is a specific word to a specific person in a specific situation. Now, faith is not general, now, faith is specific. Now, the Bible, the Logos, can tell you the kind of woman or man you should marry. But only the rhema can tell you who that person is. Okay? You with me? God, he said, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Look, let me tell you something. If you're finding, you're already in trouble. Because that's what we do in relationships. We find somebody... We fall in love, and then we take with that person and as many other people as we can for the rest of our life. If you are finding and falling, you're in serious trouble. Most marriages are like a train wreck looking for a place to happen. The Bible doesn't say find somebody. It says be somebody. It doesn't say fall in love. It says walk in love. It has to be intentional. It doesn't say take from that person. It says give and serve that other person. All arguments in marriages and relationships are really and truly directed around one thing, and that is personal selfishness. And as a pastor, it's my job to challenge your selfishness. It's all right. Some of you wives look at your husband and say, you're selfish. Now, I know you've been wanting to say that for a while. I'm giving you permission. You are selfish. Selfish. Now, don't get defensive and all that kind of business because there's always two sides to every story, right? When you get married, you have to realize this. you got two options. You can either be right or you can be happy. You can be right. You can, I haven't been right in 19 years. That still kills me, but I'm a happy man. You can either be right or you can be happy. Now again, I'm getting off on these things. Rhema, Rhema is a specific word for a specific person about a specific situation. Some of you, this is exactly what you need in your life this morning. You're needing God to speak to you about something. You're needing God to say something to you about a certain situation, about a certain thing, and it needs to be specific. And God is well able to do those things. Now, again, the Logos is for everybody. Rhema is for somebody specific. Now, let me give you an example of this, and we'll wrap things up. An example of a rhema word it's like when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter is in the boat and he sees Jesus at a distance. And so Jesus, or Peter says to Jesus, he said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come. You know the story? And once Jesus said this, the Bible says Peter got out of the boat and what happened? He walked on the water. Now again, I'm not as smart as most of you are. But I remember when I first got saved, I read that scripture. And I thought, you know what, maybe I can pump my faith up enough that I might be able to. How many have tried to walk on water before? Go ahead. Besides me. And so I thought, how do I do this? Let me pump myself up. Because <laughs> it's what you do when you get your faith straight up, right? You just get super emotional and pumped and psyched and you're like. Well, I tried it on several occasions. It didn't work. But why is it that it works for Peter and it doesn't work for me? It's because I can't take a Logos word in the Bible and make it a rhema for me. What does that mean? When Peter asked the Lord, he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus spoke a specific word to a specific person about a specific thing. He spoke to Peter, and he said one word, and it was a rainbow word. He said, come. And the Bible says that Peter got out, got out, out of the walk on the water. Now listen, Peter was able to walk on the water because he was actually standing on the word. You with me on that? See, when you get a rain of word, you can walk on things that were intended to cause you to sink. The things that have brought depression in your life and discouragement in your life and weariness in your life. All you need is a word from God and you will be able to walk on the very thing that's about to make you drowned. So what is causing you to sink that you need a of word from God for. See, you and I can't take that verse of Scripture and say, if Peter walked on the water, I can. Because he's not calling us to walk on water. He could be calling us to come to himself. Or he could be saying, go in faith. And the reason why we live miserable lives is because we're not actively involved in the purpose that God has for our life. Logos. Ramah. That's why Jesus said over and over again, he that has ears to hear, let him, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit's saying. He says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, present t- proceeds out of the mouth of God. So there's a word that we live by that is a present word that will produce now faith, that will allow you to activate your faith and then live out the purpose of God for your life. Now, I know that sounds confusing, But it's really a simple thing. Then come to music. Go to the next slide for me. The promises of God are the object of our faith. Did you know the Bible is a book of promises? There's over eight thousand promises found in the Word of God. Eight thousand promises. But without a promise from God, then there's nothing to attach our faith to. Everything that pertains to faith is released through a promise that God has given us through his word. It says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Go to the next one. Promises are what gives our faith substance. Why? Because you can take them to the bank. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. He said he sent his word that he watches over his word, careful to perform it. And a lot of times... We give up and we let our faith start going in the wrong direction because we're having to wait for this promise to be fulfilled. But faith says when you really have faith, you can have confident assurance that what God said would happen, even though it hasn't happened yet, is going to come to pass. Now look what it says. Go back to this next slide, the one before this one. What, what does he say about his promises? Some of the promises of God. Is that what it says? All of the promises of God. How many? Over 8,000 of them. All the promises of God are yes and amen. What does that mean, Don? That means it's always a yes until you hear an oh. It's always a yes until you hear a no. And just because you've not seen the fulfillment of that promise yet doesn't mean that God said no. And if it doesn't happen the way you thought that it would in the time frame that you thought that it would doesn't mean that it's not on the way. A delay is not a denial. All the promises of God are yes and amen. It's always a yes until you hear a no. A promise is given by God, and once and how, how do you how do you receive a rhema of promise from God? Here's a simple way to explain it. How many of you have been reading the Bible, and you might be reading some of the same things that you've read in times past, but all of a sudden, while you are reading something leaps up off the page and then slaps you in the face that you've never seen before. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, have you ever been reading and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I didn't see that. Well, listen, that is God giving you revelation, giving you a rhema about the Logos. But you have to know the Logos before you will be able to receive revelation of a rhema. I want you to get this. That's why you need to study the Word. You need to read the Word. Listen, some of us, we're waiting on a lightning bolt to come down for the earth to shake, some big sign from God before uh, we're willing to step out and do something. Surely if we believe God wrote a book, we would read it. You cannot say you believe God wrote a book while not reading it. And you can't say that God is silent when your Bible is always closed. Man, I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. We make it harder than what it is. Whose thoughts are in the Bible? Talk to me. When you read the Bible, whose thoughts are you putting in your mind? When you apply the Bible into your life, who do you begin to think and act like? It's that simple. What you feed will live. What you starve will die. You can't feed your flesh six days a week and then come to church on Sunday morning and feed your spirit and think you can live a victorious life. It just doesn't work that way. It never will. We want maximum benefit with minimal effort the Bible says you reap what you sow give and it shall be given unto you to the measure in which you give the Bible says it shall be given back to you pressed down, shaken together running over shall men give to your bosom stand with me faith is not a leap into the darkness. Faith is actually a leap into the light. Faith is not a leap into the unknown. It is a leap into the known. You know the Christian cliche. I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. He said, then don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient are today's troubles for themselves. And so we have to learn how to live in this moment. But it's not about the amount of faith you have. The object of your faith is more important than the amount of faith that you have. But I believe God is calling us out of the realm of hope. So we can learn how to operate and walk in the realm of faith. Now how do you do that Donald? It takes two things. please get this. Number one, you have to recognize God is speaking to you. Well how do you do that? If you have ears to hear, you have to recognize that. Second thing is you have to respond in obedience. we are educated way above our level of obedience. And so many of us, that we are bored with the Christian life simply because we never step out in obedience to God and do what he says for us to do. You're never going to experience God and live the Christian life if you don't step into that now moment and respond to him. It's always connected to that. But back in the 20s and 30s, there was a man by the name of Charles Blunden, and he was a high-wire walker. You know what I'm talking about? You know what a high-wire is, right? You go to the circus, and then there's this big wire that goes from one end of the tent to the other, and they get up there, and they walk on that. Well, this man was one of those guys. And so he scheduled this event. He advertised it. He promoted it. He said, you know what? We want to have a big crowd come out. We want you to, you know, we, we want you to come experience this. The first time he did it, he did it on the Niagara Falls, on Niagara Falls. So the day comes, and all these people come, and, you know, they're they are they're, they're there watching. And, you know, here he, here he is. He's got, you know, his, his balancing beam, and he's walking out on this high wire. And people are going, oh, my God. And he'd get halfway out there and he'd go. And everybody goes, oh, oh. you know what I'm saying. But you know what's going to happen up front, right? Dude's going to make it, right? So he, he, he makes it look a little dramatic. He's like, I'm sure it's not easy. But you know what? It takes him a while. Then finally he gets over and he stands up bills. And, and the people are amazed. They're going, wow, this is incredible. This guy is amazing. And so he schedules another feed of high wire acting. He said, I'm going to do this in New York City. I'm going to cross these two big buildings here and blah, blah, blah. So guess what? They promote the same thing over and over again. He gets up there, and incredibly, he does the same exact thing. He gets out about halfway, pretends the wind's blowing, and he's like, people are like, he makes it across. ta-da. And then so he makes this statement. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go across this high wire. I'm going I'm to take it up one level. I'm going to do this blindfolded. So, you know, he's a good he's a good marketer. He's making in the business of making money. And so they scheduled this, blah, blah, blah. He walks all the way across it blindfolded. And people are blown away. And then he makes this statement. He said, for my last demonstration of high wire walking, I'm going to push a wheelbarrow all the way across this wire to the other side. Who believes I can do it? Who believes I can do it? And this man, he jumps up. He says, I believe you can do it. I believe you can do anything. And then he looks at the man and says, and get in the wheelbarrow. I feel like that's what God's saying to us this morning. Do you believe I can do anything? Do you believe that I can use anybody? Do you believe that I'm the creator? and the sustainer of all things? Do you believe that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Do you believe that I can use you regardless of your past? Do you believe I can do anything? If you do, get in the wheelbarrow. Now, faith means stepping into that moment. And there's a moment, maybe you're here, you're lost. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you've been in church for a while and and you don't have 100% assurance that you were saved, that you were right with God and God is saying, I want you to respond by taking a step of faith. If that's one of you, as they sing and as they play, I'm going to invite you to come. For the rest of you, I want you to take a minute. Ask the Lord, do you have a step of faith for me? What is my next step? If there's a next step, then respond in obedience. The best place you can find yourself when you're searching for the will of God is a place on the altar. Nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to be afraid of. Let's pray. Father, there's people under the sound of my voice right now. They need a rain of word from you. They need a specific word about a specific situation about in a specific time. Lord, I pray that you speak to them today, that they would recognize that you are talking to them and that they would respond in obedience and say, Lord, let your will be done, not my will be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. I pray for those that are needing direction, those that are needing encouragement, those that are needing strength. And I pray, God, as they step out in obedience to you, that you would speak to them a refreshing word that would restore their soul and revive their spirit, that they may walk out the purpose and the plan that you have for their life in Jesus' name. As they sing and as they play, if God's calling you, he's saying, come. If you're weary, come. If you're overwhelmed, come. If you're discouraged, come. If you feel like throwing in the towel, come. It's in your coming that God will continue to reveal to you the source of your strength. And his name is Jesus, amen.